Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Matt Bernico. Uh, you might notice that Dean's not with me this week, which is a bummer because uh, I always like when he's with me. That's why we do this podcast, so we can talk together. Well, um, this week we're doing something a little bit different, a little bit of a special episode. Uh, we're going to focus in on the uh, the the struggle for a union uh, for faculty members and grad students at Marquette University. And then we'll kind of do a zoom out and just kind of talk about uh, the unionization of um, faculty and grad workers at Jesuit and Christian schools just in general. So um, if you're interested in higher ed, if you're interested in organized labor, this is an episode for you. All right, here it goes. Catholic social teaching isn't the most radical ethic in the world. But Catholic social teaching from Rerum Novarum to Laudato Si does make space for unions and organized labor. They prioritize it pretty high. So you'd think that workers at Catholic institutions wouldn't really have much of a problem starting a union. Well, you'd be wrong. To tell us more, here's Sam Harshner, a visiting professor of political science at Marquette University, a Jesuit school, explaining what's been going on with the struggle to organize amongst the contingent instructors and graduate workers there. So, so non-tenure track faculty, uh, really the, the second group to the, to the kind of the, the table at the, in this effort, really this effort started with uh, graduate workers at, at Marquette University. Um, pr- prior to three years ago, graduate workers had access to a, to a health care plan that they could buy into uh, that was, that was uh, subsidized by the university. Three years ago then, that was, um, that was eliminated. They were given a stipend to go out and buy um, health care on the uh, Obamacare exchanges uh, in ways that were wholly insufficient. So people, people really, um, graduate workers really uh, were, were struggling to, to get access to health care. Um, and so that, that really kicked off uh, the initial discussions about unionization. And a lot of people made inquiries uh, to, to various unions um, to see, see if there, there might be some support for us uh, pushing for, for unionization. Um, and uh, SEIU, um, uh, some some folks at Marquette hooked up with SEIU and began to uh, began to organize really in earnest. I would say last summer. Uh, by the time they came in, there were also some some non tenure track faculty members who were talking about unionization as well, because basically they'd seen what had happened in Loyola and Fordham and Georgetown, all these places, um, and and kind of they saw the fruits of that sort of uh, that sort of organizing effort. Let's stop for a second. If you're not close to higher education yourself, you might be a little surprised. Don't professors get tenure? Isn't higher education a cushy job full of leather-bound books and TAs grading your paper? Well, the image of higher education you might have is probably a pretty far cry from the reality. Let's break it down a bit. Higher education used to have this kind of pseudo-guild system. You'd get hired on as an assistant professor and be on track for tenure after some years, given that you met the right criteria at your institution. Though higher education, along with a number of other industries, are trending toward a model of labor that prizes flexibility and set contingent contracts with their workers. Kind of like Uber or something. Now, rather than being hired on toward the achievement of tenure, universities contract instructors for set terms that at their very worst last a semester, but often operate on a year-to-year sort of basis. You're never quite sure if you're going to be hired on after this year is over, and that can make your life really hard. Sometimes these roles are called adjunct instructors, though when it comes to labor organizing, the preferred terminology is contingent workers or precarious workers. So if you're at college now and you take a class from someone and um, on their faculty page it says that they're an instructor of whatever, 
Yeah, no, it's a pretty good chance they might be one of these types of adjuncts or contingent workers. Um, also, if you're uh, taking a class at college and you notice that there's a grad student teaching your course, it's also pretty likely that they're one of these types of workers. So be mindful of your professors and maybe be nice to them. Here's a little bit more from Sam Harshner, who you just heard from, on how more of this works. It's kind of an issue of material circumstances. What's happening in higher ed is, is part of a broader kind of trend towards contingent uh, insecure labor. If you look at um, the way the, the way it played out in uh, 2000, 75% of classes in higher education were taught by tenured and tenure track faculty. Uh, now, 75% um, of classes are taught by what we refer to as contingent labor, uh, contingent faculty. And those might be uh, adjuncts who teach one or two courses at a university. They may be grad students who are who are finishing up their 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 degree. Uh, it may be uh, people who are referred to as visiting professors, even though they visit in these at these institutions in perpetuity. But these are people without job protections, essentially. So so really, what what we're seeing here is that, that the university uh, the university system as a whole is moving towards um, you know okay, I mean, have, having a, a really bifurcated system with a small group of very well paid very well protected employees um, uh, teachers uh, in tenure track faculty and a, and a large number of uh, of revolving um, contingent faculty that uh, that work anywhere from full time to just you know one class a semester. This all sounds pretty rough, right? In this larger context, the struggle for a union of these types of contingent workers makes a bit more sense. Though the contingency of the contract isn't the only issue. It's not just that contingent university workers are getting put on different contracts, but it's that these contracts don't provide the basic benefits that jobs ought to provide. Brother Ken Holman, a Jesuit who has invested in the struggle for unions at Catholic institutions, framed it this way. I think it is the nuts and bolts. So for example, when I was chatting with the Marquette uh, adjunct union right when they were getting started, you know, I asked them, like, what are some of your things? And they're like, well, currently adjunct faculty have to pay for parking. Tenure faculty don't. The Jesuits don't. Students do. Um, but it was this kind of odd space of you're not getting paid a whole lot and you have to pay for parking on campus. And so it's just very simple things like that sometimes where they don't have a voice. They stand to gain a real control over their lives and in many ways stand up to the injustice direction that higher ed is moving as a whole, where it is an over-reliance on grad students and adjunct faculty that a lot of those previously decently paying jobs are kind of collapsing uh, for all sorts of reasons. And so the union and the unionization movement, I think, by a lot of the grad students, grad workers, and faculty is to make sure that their well-being doesn't disappear. In response to all of this, a university professor or a grad student union actually makes a lot of sense. If university admins are dead set on not providing dignity and listening to their employees, then like, what other choice do they really have? Though the response to unionization, at least in Sam Harsh's experience, has been less than stellar. With some universities like Georgetown, for example, another Jesuit school, they're quick to give their employees space to unionize. But Marquette hasn't responded in quite the same way. After the initial drive for unionization last year, Marquette's provost, that's like, you know, the boss of all the teachers at the school, responded with an interesting open letter in opposition to the union effort. Kimo Ayun, the provost, writes, 
Our strong preference is to maintain a direct working relationship with our faculty, without a third-party intermediary that may not understand our university, our mission, or our guiding values. Despite being kind of a disingenuous statement, we'll get back to that in a minute, I think the provost's response actually hits on an important part of the story. Marquette University is a Jesuit school, and it's affiliated with the Catholic Church. Like the provost says, Jesuit schools certainly do have their own particular set of values. But does this really hold up? Are the Jesuit values that the provost is referencing here anti-union? Probably not. I asked Brother Ken Homan to explain what he thinks of the provost's statement and, you know, what the values of a Jesuit school really are. So Delta Airlines has been pretty strident in uh, combating unionization among their workers. And in a, a letter released by their PR team, they said, we prefer to maintain a strong direct working relationship with our workers rather than go through a third party. <laughs> so it was uh, almost identical to what both BC and um, Marquette University has said in response. So it's kind of this painful thing in some ways because you have these very religious committed institutions and then Delta Airlines making the exact same argument. The other really interesting thing is unions in the United States have a very, very Catholic history. Longtime uh, presidents of the AFL-CIO have been Catholic. Uh, one was a daily mass goer. <laughs> so unions, especially in the United States, are a little different from those elsewhere in the world, uh, especially in Europe, I would say, in just how Catholic their identity is. It's also ironic that Jesuits used to be very active and other religious um, used to be incredibly active in local unions, helping do faith workshops. And what does it look like to be a faithful union member? The Boston Archdiocese, in fact, still has a labor guild that works on this. And they're represented by the hotel workers union, by airport union, by construction unions. Um, the unions have shown themselves very willing to be cooperative. Uh, and obviously, you're going to run into some tricky stuff, especially when you start getting into healthcare negotiations, things like that. But by and large, uh, the unions have said, sure, we'll learn your values, we'll learn your tradition, we'll learn your identity, uh, because our commitment is to the workers. And if the workers have that identity, then naturally we as a union will also have that identity. Ken makes a pretty strong case that a union might be exactly the kind of institution that Jesuits really ought to value. Sam Harshner, again from Marquette, adds another good point on to the statement from the provost as well. Not only is the talk of values disingenuous, but the rhetoric about the union as a third party is pretty dubious as well. So here's Sam explaining his position. Uh, it's, it's a silly argument to begin with because there is no third party there. Um, we are our union, right? We are employees of Marquette University and as, and as much a part of the university as admi that administration. So, so to say there's a third party there is, is ridiculous, unless they're referring to the one organizer uh, who's helped us out on this. Um, so it's not, you know, I think this, this, uh, there is not a, there's not a, um, a, there's not an argument to call, uh, call a, you know, call this union a third party. This, this, this union is, is consists of its members. Uh, but the second part of it is, is that, you know, kind of all of their guiding values are about care of the whole person, 
Uh, they're about uh, making sure that uh, you know, make, making sure that we're we're building leaders and and uh, some of the, some of the models uh, that that they use about Marquette students are be the difference or set the world on fire. Um, these are these are the sorts of things that they expect Marquette students to do. Um, and yet, what they're doing instead is is really standing in the way of of of, of you know, kind of people's well-being. Um, they're they're um, they're not certainly taking care of uh, care of the whole person. Uh, in, in the uh, when we're talking about uh, non-tenure track faculty or grad workers, the grad workers are are on such are, are in such dire straits that there's actually a food bank that's emerged on campus to service the needs of grad students. Uh, a lot of a lot of students either have to go on Medicaid or have no health health insurance whatsoever. Um, we have had uh, women uh, who are who are non-tenure track faculty members who will return to work one week after having a child because they're afraid of losing their jobs. This is the sort of thing that's happening. It's not in, in keeping with what their espoused values. Doesn't seem like the provost's concerns about Jesuit values really stand up to Homan or Harshner's criticism. Though to dig in a bit further, I asked Dean, the resident Catholic expert on the Magnificast, some more about Catholic social teaching and unions. He pointed me in a direction of some strikingly pro-union sentiment from the history of Catholic thought. Here's Dean with an excerpt from the papal encyclical Rerum Novarum. The most important of all are working men's unions, for these virtually include all the rest. History attests what excellent results were brought about by the artificers' guilds of olden times. They were the means of affording not only many advantages to the workmen, but in no small degree of promoting the advancement of art, as numerous monuments remain to bear witness. Such unions should be suited to the requirements of this our age, an age of wider education, of different habits, and of far more numerous requirements in daily life. It is gratifying to know that there are actually in existence not a few associations of this nature, consisting either of workmen alone, or of workmen and employers together, but it were greatly to be desired that they should become more numerous and more efficient. We have spoken of them more than once, yet it will be well to explain here how notably they are needed, to show that they exist of their own right, and what should be their organization and their mode of action. Rerum Navarum was an encyclical that was written in 1891. And you might be thinking, well, that was a long time ago. Maybe uh, maybe church teaching has changed, and, you know, sometimes it does. But in this case, you'd be wrong. Take it from the big man himself, Pope Francis. Here's Dean again from Pope Francis' Address to the Confederation of Trade Unions in Italy. The union is an expression of the prophetic profile of society. The union is born and reborn every time that, like the biblical prophets, it gives a voice to those who have none denounces those who would sell the needy for a pair of sandals, unmasks the powerful who trample the rights of the most vulnerable workers, defends the cause of the foreigner, the least, the discarded. The union's movement has its great seasons when it is prophecy. There is no good society without a good union, and there is no good union that is not reborn every day in the peripheries, that does not transform the discarded stones of the economy into its cornerstones. The Italian for union, syndicato, is a beautiful word. It comes from the Greek dike, or justice, and sin, together. Sin, dike, justice, together. There is no justice together if it together does not include today's excluded people. When we consider these historical papal statements on unions with the experiences of Brother Homan and Sam Harshner, the tension is palpable. On the one hand, you've got university administrators trying to hold together an institution under the religious and social ethic bound up in Catholicism. 
On the other hand, though, it's clear how these institutions fall short of their own values. Religious institutions not living up to their own values isn't exactly new. In past episodes, we've talked about how Christianity is just chock-a-block full of failures. And, you know, that's okay. But they're failures that we should deal with. Rather than pointing out that these institutions are hypocrites because they don't live up to their social ethic, I think it's better to use this opportunity to explore something a little more nuanced that's going on here. Catholic social teaching is pretty clear about unions. Pope Francis even thinks that you've got to have a union for a good society. It's that important idea of the common good in Catholic social teaching. We could just write these institutions off as being hypocritical and, you know, that would be it. But I think I'm going to take it from the Bible on this one and let those who are not hypocrites cast that particular stone. Instead of reducing the conversation to simple hypocrisy, this conflict affords us the opportunity to see the religious navigate their social ethics and fail. These conflicts between religious administrators and employees unionizing demonstrate a moment where administrators opt for a neoliberal agenda over their own social ethic, and that's pretty interesting. Obviously, this does totally suck, too, because people are actually getting hurt in the crossfire. Um, you know, the the workers at the university is, actually have their lives and their dignity on the line, and that's not anything that anyone should mess with. But this is all hardly surprising when you consider the way the neoliberal mindset deals with its own economic precarity. When in difficult positions, neoliberals tend to outsource and fragment the jobs of their own workers to third parties. This is basically what we see with the uberization of basically everything. This is the gig economy come to academia. Another way to think about it is that Christianity has proven itself to be malleable enough to fit within all kinds of ideologies. Neoliberalism encloses on Christianity and adopts the social values it can subsume and discards the ethics that it's in conflict with. What we end up with is a Christianity that only works on behalf of the bosses and disregards the precarious lives of the workers. It's not wrong to identify this as a Christian failure either. However, it's not the only Christianity possible. Brother Ken Homan reminds us that Christianity, especially Jesuits in the labor movement, have been creative opposers of the exploitation of workers in the past, and maybe we can just mark those points as places to re-begin the struggle. Here's Homan with more on this. I think the one thing that we really need to do is really look at ways we've been creative in the past. For example, there's this Jesuit, Dan Lord, who ran all sorts of multimedia stuff way before social media that, you know, he was putting on pageants, he was doing letters, he had radio shows all about worker justice. You know, just the creativity that's there, I think, is something we can really take and say, okay, we're worried about uh, a third party? How do we form that third party? What kinds of programs do we do? But I think the other really big thing is to remember that unions don't simply bargain. That's not their only purpose. Um, you know, they do a lot of worker training. They do a lot of safety and protocol stuff like that. So, you know, thinking for grad workers, a lot of them who are said, all right, go teach a class, the union can really step into that spot and do a lot to provide like pedagogy lessons and how to be a good teacher, all those sorts of things. Um, and I think those are the sorts of creative relationships we need to imagine and to work on. Christianity has the capacity to do a lot of bad. It can be hypocritical, but that those failures are a part of the Christian tradition doesn't really close the book on Christianity and its social ethic. It doesn't mean that it's all bad. Brother Ken and Sam Harshner alike still find that there's something more to the story, that there's a liberative possibility within Christianity that can fight for unions, that can be on the side of the oppressed, and can oppose neoliberalism. There's a lot more that can be said here. Catholic universities aren't the only places that need unions. You know, all workplaces do. 
Though there are some rather annoying roadblocks in place at schools with religious affiliations. So if you're a student and you're heading back to university this fall, keep all this in mind. It's a pretty good opportunity to think through how you might throw in with your professors and the grad student workers at your institution. If nothing else, you ought to start asking some bigger questions about the place you go to school. Where does your tuition go? How much do your teachers even get paid? If you start asking these questions to your college administrators, you'll definitely get some interesting answers. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash The Magnificast. You can also follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash The Magnificast. If you don't really have enough money to support us on Patreon, that's no big deal. We don't blame you for it. It's a hard place out there. (laughs) What you can do is give us a review on iTunes. That would be really helpful. Uh, The more reviews that we get and the more positive they are definitely uh, bumps us up that uh, iTunes algorithm. So we do appreciate that. All right. See you next week. Get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up and you stay up late in Jackson. You keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind the cold nights, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. Decide what else are you gonna do Is we kissed in the alley by the Michigan feeder